Welcome to the Foundation Podcast, your weekly insight into the most significant conservative ideas being discussed right now all across America. From policymakers to grassroots activists, and from thought leaders to elected leaders, each week we bring you the people and the ideas shaping the American Republic. Brought to you with a dose of Texas, where Lone Star Liberty shines brighter than ever. Well, folks, thanks again for joining yet another episode of the Foundation Podcast. As you know, while we're always very happy to talk about the issues of the day, public policy, current events, we really try to place an emphasis on those foundational principles of America, particularly of what it means to be conservatively minded, influenced by the free market, very happy and privileged to be in the free market, and whatever else our guests want to talk about. And I can tell you that whether you are in Austin, Texas, Texas generally, or outside the state of Texas, you will be riveted by the conversation we're going to have today because we have with us a very special guest, Ellen Troxclair, one of the members of the City Council of Austin, Texas. As you will hear soon, you will note that Council Member Troxclair is not a typical member of the City Council, and we say that, of course, very civilly and respectfully of the socialists who are on the City Council of Austin. Ellen will tell us a little bit about them, at least in their, in their political beliefs. More importantly, we're going to talk about Ellen's path into public service, sort of the highlights and maybe the challenging times of being in public life, and what she may plan to do for the future. Her story itself, like the story of each of our guests, is one that we hope is inspirational to our listeners, maybe even informative when it comes to taking action on those principles that are important to us. But we're also hopeful that those of you who are sort of sitting on the sidelines, doing a lot of reading, political junkies like Ellen Troxclair and I are, will one day decide that you are going to step into the public square and hold office because ultimately that is a requirement in order to sustain this beautiful culture that we have here in the United States of America. Ellen Troxclair, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So here you are, a member of the Austin City Council. Even people outside Texas know that there's something about Austin that might be what we call weird. Yes. And you say that with a wonderful smile on your face. You conduct yourself, of course, with wonderful class and grace. And yet, you have one of the most difficult jobs in America, being a member of the Austin City Council. Tell us about that. Uh, it, it certainly, you know, when it, during your introduction you talked about uh, no offense to other members of the council who might be socialists, and there would be a time that that, that, that would be a joke, um, that we were kind of exaggerating, and um, unfortunately that's not the case here in Austin anymore. It's, it's um, People are kind of openly uh, a member of socialist parties, and, and certainly the policies that the city council are passing are proudly supported by um, local socialist organizations. So it has been um, an interesting interesting to see over the last three years that that transition happen and really very scary uh, and an even greater responsibility for me as the only conservative on an 11 member council to really represent what I think is just kind of basic common sense and the, the average middle class family in Austin um, who really just wants to be able to afford to continue to live here. Well, it's as you're saying that I was thinking about the, the first stint that my wife and I had 
in Austin in the 1990s. And by that point, things had changed. If you talk to old timers, you're a Texas native, came to, to Austin to study at our shared alma mater, the wonderful University of Texas. You studied international business. But the point is, at that point, now 20 years ago, things had changed. In the interlude, when we were away for 15 years, having moved back a couple of years ago, I was astonished, even having visited several times during that period, at how leftward the city council had lurched, and not just in their rhetoric, but as, as you said, in, pol in policies that get passed. Mm -hmm. What have been some of the most challenging examples of those policies? Oh man, there are, are so many that it's, <laughs> it's, that it's kind list. of, it's, it is, it's a little bit difficult um, to narrow it down. You know, the everything from um, mandatory paid sick leave on, on every small private business in the city of Austin um, to, I guess, requiring that those businesses aren't able to uh, check someone, a, a potential employee's background until after they've already made them a conditional offer. And the most recent thing that is coming to our city council is the uh, is something that they're calling democracy dollars, which is really just a way, uh, a fancy way for the city to say that we're going to literally give out um, free money for everyone in Austin to then turn around and contribute to any candidate of their of their choice. So the, the, the proposed policy is that we'll take a couple million dollars from Austin Energy's budget, um, give everyone in Austin a hundred dollar voucher um, that they can use to support any political candidate uh, running for the Austin City Council, which is really just astonishing to me that uh, we would be we would be talking about you know, money that people pay to provide electricity to their house, you know, the, the, what they think is going towards their, their energy bill and to keeping their lights on um, is actually going to potentially be given to their next door neighbor who um, might have very different political views. So it is uh, every week um, there's, there's something new and I'm really uh, some, sometimes at a loss of words, but but like I said before, really it, it just goes to show how important it is that um, someone like me is there to represent the the opinion of what I really think is the ma the majority of people in Austin um, who just want the city council to fill potholes, you know, um, create a, a good regulatory environment for our businesses, fund parks. Uh, run Austin Energy in a, in a responsible manner. Uh, and instead, it seems like at every turn, the city council is just getting into um, all of the things that, that have nothing to do with, with basic city services. It's true, and it shows that there is a, a much broader agenda at work. And I was being neither humorous nor pejorative when I used the word socialist, well, maybe a little pejorative, but not, not, not with the particular people there because we respect them as people. But I had not heard about the democracy dollars business. So we're going to collect money from Austin residents, and we're going to allocate it to the Austin energy budget. And then we're going to take from that budget, which should be spent either on energy or giving that money back to the taxpayers, $2 million to be distributed so that they can be spent on political races. Right. This is why those of us who work in public policy every day, a world you know well, get really scared when we hear people left of center talk about civic engagement. Because often that civic engagement is not what you and I understand, which is that we're going to go to city council meetings or in your case actually run to be on the city council and knock on doors and garner support to be elected. But instead, some sort of program 
that cost the rest of us money for other people to be engaged. Yes, I mean, it, it, there's they are always passing something that's going to cost you money. That's there, um, you know. There's a, no no. What what's the saying that um, t- death and taxes? Those are the two certainties in the world. Well, certainly the Austin City Council is is every week doing something that's going to cost you more money. Sure. We know you you are a very modest person, so you probably wouldn't own up to this, but as I travel outside Texas and, and advocate for the Texas model, and, and Austin in some ways is part of that, so we'll, we'll come back to the, the good aspects of being in Austin. People are aware of you, if not by name. They know that there is one voice on the city council of Austin who is a voice of reason. And sometimes people ask me, do you know that lady? She must be crazy. So with that in mind, Ellen, what was it that motivated you to run for the city council in the first place? I, I, I truly um, ask myself that, <laughs> the same question every day. No, I, I um, really, I had been working at the state capitol as a staffer to a state representative. And so I was always interested in, in policy and politics, but never, always happy to be the person kind of in the, mm-hmm. in the back of the room. And the city council went through a change from an at-large system to a district-based system. So we live in Southwest Austin and we thought, great, this might be an opportunity for us to support somebody who's going to better represent our views and really um, tackle the affordability crisis that we're seeing, really refocus on, uh, like I said, basic basic priorities like public safety and, um, and transportation infrastructure. Um, so the reason that I got interested um, was really just as someone who wanted to support someone else who was running. I mean, I, I had no interest in running. I tried to talk my husband into it. You know, he was uh, busy doing his own thing. So, and it really wasn't until we had kind of met with all the can- or we we looked, we researched all of the candidates. There were four candidates already in our race, um, looking for that person that we were going to support, and nobody was talking about the things that I thought were really critical um, to Austin's future. And so. Truly, I, I woke up one morning and said, well, if I have the ability to run and I don't do it, then I can't complain. Um, and it was so outside of my comfort zone. I hated public speaking, uh, still get very nervous doing it. And uh, my husband said, this is not, I mean, you've never won it. You've never talked about wanting to run for office. And in fact, the exact opposite, like what is, you know, I support you 100%, but what has gotten into you, you know? And so we just, we, it was a really short timeline. We had to make the decision pretty quickly because of the filing um, deadlines. And so I didn't know what it was that I, um, had I known then all of the things that I know now, maybe I wouldn't have done it, but I'm so glad that I did because I um, jumped in and ultimately run the general election, won the runoff. And um, now here I am three and a half years later, you know, really have having, being serving as the only person who is representing a large swath of the city and and the only a lot of times the only dissenting viewpoint um, that the media can go to mm-hmm. for you know a quote or representation of the other side uh, I think any any government is 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 better when you have robust discussion and you have multiple viewpoints represented um, so I'm very grateful that that I've been able to do that. And it, it is interesting that it's, I never dreamed that it would give me a platform that I have now that, like you said, people outside of Austin um, know that there's someone on the city council, you want one conservative on the city council. It's given me um, a platform to speak to those issues 
nationally, really. I'm, mm-hmm. I serve as the um, national chair of the Austin City County Exchange, which is an organization of um, local elected officials from across the country. Um, you know, I've, I've been quoted in Forbes and New York Times and all of these other things. That I, and I still feel like I'm just, you know, a mom of two kids and um, I have a, a, real, a small real estate brokerage and, and that's, that's who I am on a daily basis. But mm-hmm. um, it is, so it's really kind of surreal sometimes to wake up and realize that, um, that there are people interested in what I have to say. Sure. It's, it is impressive that, of course, we see you get quoted here in the Austin media and in the Texas media, but you do get quoted a lot in national media and you don't wake up each day desiring this. That's kind of the neat thing about you as a public servant. And I think one of the things that makes you very appealing for folks in Austin, outside Austin, but what you realized at some point in, into your term that that was a role that you were being asked to play and that the people of Austin needed you to do that, but also the people of America needed you to do that because you have been in the front lines of a trend that's very troubling to me. And that is that when we look at all the different levels of government, the federal level, the state level, the local level, there are challenges and there are benefits. We're, we're not anti-government here on the Foundation Podcast, so there's a, a couple of roles that government can play well. The most important that it plays is to promote our liberty. And when you analyze those three levels of government, the level of government where we find our liberty most challenged, and here in Austin on a daily basis, is at the local level. And that's why I say that what you've been doing on the Austin City Council, even though you're often on the losing end on a lot of votes, is really important for America. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I completely agree. And, you know, there's uh, a lot of conversation from uh, my left-leaning colleagues about, well, I thought that you cared about local control. So we, why don't you support us in doing whatever we want to do, you know, at the at, as part of the city council? Um, you know, you might disagree with us, but once we vote a certain way, you need to you need to get on board because we 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 should have the ability to um, to make these laws and, and, and govern, you know, re- restrict whatever liberties that we want to. And the, it's it's such a misunderstanding um, that the idea of local control is something valuable to people who believe in limited government because it's supposed that government closest to the people is supposed to be the government um, that's going to protect your individual freedoms um, most adamantly. And and but if it's it's a, and it's a tool to get to make sure that those freedoms are protective. But when that when it's not being used, when it's being used to do the exact opposite, it's not a virtue in and of itself. Um, the ultimate local control is is the individual, the the, the voter. Um, and so I, of course, at every turn, try to try to remind people that um, that 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 when I think of local control, I, I want uh, I want people living in my district and in our city uh, to have the ability to spend money as they see fit, and raise their families as they see fit, and run their businesses as they see, see fit with um, as little interference from the local government or the state government or the federal government um, as possible. Sure. And so you have gotten involved. In fact, you're, you're leading this relatively new organization, the American City Council Exchange. Is it city county? Uh, city exchange. county exchange. Yeah, exchange. Yeah. So tell our listeners about that. Yeah, so it is uh, local state um, or local elected officials from across the country and private sector members uh, who generally it's nonpartisan, but the 
you know, principles that we believe in are, are generally limited government and free enterprise. Uh, and so we just get together a couple times a year and talk about best practices, talk about what our uh, cities are, are doing or not doing, things that are working well, things that could be approved upon, and really just try to um, learn from each other and uh, share knowledge to make our individual cities better. And it has been, it's been really valuable. I mean, there's everything, I mean, there's a couple of examples, I think, of things that I've brought back directly to Austin. Of course, um, I always try to share things, share things that I think would be cool to do here. But generally, it's, it's um, other people in more conservative leaning cities who have said, hey, we've done this and it's working really well. Um, one thing that comes to mind is a, is a homeless program that I'm trying to get off the ground here that uh, allows the basically set up sets up a system for the the city to contract with a third party um, who will drive around and, and talk to people who are begging on the side of the street. You know, panhandling and homelessness is a rate is a major problem in Austin, um, and and ask people give people the opportunity to uh, regain their dignity through work by offering them you know to work for a couple days for for cash. You know, whether it's picking up trash in our local parks or um, graffiti removal or anything else that maybe our uh, our, our city staff might have on their to-do list that they haven't gotten to yet. And then they get uh, a bag lunch and cash at the end of the day and get connected to city services that might help them um, get off the street. So that's that's just one example of a, of a program that I had originally heard that another city was doing and had huge success um, with and that, I've, that I'm trying to bring to Austin. Now, I'm glad to hear that because on a daily basis, for those of us who work in downtown Austin in particular, the human tragedy that is the homeless epidemic in Austin, that's not an overstatement, is astounding. And, and in fact, thinking about one of the most surprising things upon our return to the Austin area, at the top of the list was the homelessness problem. Because 15 or 20 years ago, while of course there were homeless people, and there's a whole range of reasons that someone is homeless, ultimately because they're human persons, we want them, as you said, to have, they do have dignity, we want them to really be flourishing. That problem had really b become mitigated by some third parties. Some, as you know, some, some individuals and organizations taking the lead instead of city government. But something has happened in the meantime, and the city government, best as I can tell, this is a long-winded way of, of phrasing this question, it seems as if the Austin city government is, is spending too much money doing too much to control the homeless problem, and I would make the claim that perhaps they're making it worse. You know, I would agree with that claim. I I think that in an effort to try to provide government subsidized housing on a huge scale by um, passing major bonds or just putting aside, uh, you know, our regular city budget dollars to try to subsidize more and more housing, they're raising taxes on everybody in the city. So those people who are on the brink who don't aren't homeless yet, but are really struggling to make ends meet and to pay their property taxes and to pay their electric bills. Um, those are the people that are hurt by hurt by these policies because their taxes go up to pay for more subsidized housing and all of a sudden they now qualify for it. Um, and by the way, those are the same people who, when they're paying their electric bill, uh, their money is being given to somebody else to give towards a political candidate. Yeah, right. um, and it's also an interesting, th this homeless program that I talked about is also one of the reasons uh, that we really haven't gotten out off the ground yet is because we have a city mandated minimum wage of about $15 an hour and with with um, all kinds of required benefits, health benefits, et cetera. So, um, while other cities that have just paid, you know, $10 an hour cash or whatever, they can help 
a large number of people in a pretty small amount of time. Um, the city of Austin is really struggling to figure out how we come up with the budget needed to pay people that really high minimum wage and to provide to provide them with all of these benefits. So um, again, it's just these, these well-meaning policies, of course, $15 an hour sounds great. Who doesn't want that? Um, but what's happening is that we're homeless people. We, we passed this program um, over a year ago now and really hasn't gotten off the ground yet because of that reason. And so it's, it's these people who are wanting jobs and could have really benefited from this program um, and would have been so happy to make $10 an hour or any amount of money that the that the city was willing to pay them um, have been prevented from earning that earning that living and being connected to these services uh, because the city is trying to comply figure out how to comply with their own regulations. I mean, it's it's pretty stunning when the city. I mean, there's so many other examples when of of cases that the city has a hard time um, complying with its own regulations. So you know, it's 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 almost literally sickening. And what I mean by that is that. I think about all the public policy that we work on here at the Public Policy Foundation. And of course, we were founded on education reform, which we're still working. Austin needs desperately, even though they're very good schools. But the one example of where our principles become really highlighted in practice, I think, is with this homelessness epidemic in Austin. Because it's not just about the tragedy of this fellow human who's obviously having challenges, whatever they may be. They might be, there might be minor challenges that are new and they have been on the brink financially, or they may be major. And so there may be a range of, of public policy approaches to address that. But we're not only the, our, the government closest to us abrogating our liberty at the local level, we're, we don't even have the money to be able to help these people in ways that I think almost every conservative libertarian I know would say, yes, let's do that, because we understand at the very least we have a moral obligation to do so. And even an atheist would say, I think, we have a civil obligation to do that because it affects that person, it affects the rest of us. Are there some other problems that reach the scale of homelessness in Austin that emanate from this real perverted view of, of abrogating liberty at the local level, bringing in this socialist agenda, probably ignoring private property rights, that people, whether they're in Texas or outside Texas, need to have their eyes on? That's a good question. And, and you know, from the thing that the thing that immediately comes to mind is that the the thing that the city of Austin is known for is our live music, um, our artist community, our parks, all these things that make Austin great, that when you go to another state or another country, people who've heard of Austin, that's, that's what they know about Austin. Um, but yet, Really, it's the cost of living that is driving economic segregation, gentrification, um, and driving the the artist community that has made Austin the unique place that that we love to call home um, out of the city. There, I mean, people can't afford people can't afford to live here anymore, and so the city the city of Austin is raising property taxes eight percent year over year, the maximum allowed by state law. Um, that is unprecedented any in really any other place in the state and in the city of Austin's history. 8% year over year means property taxes are doubling every nine years, which is completely unsustainable. Um, and, and when you think about it, when you, when you ask a room full of uh, constituents, you know, how many of you got an 8% raise last year in your job? Um, and by the way, not just last year, but the nine years previous to that, 
there's nobody that raises their hands. Nobody in that room, nobody in that room is getting 8% raises every, every year. Yet the city of Austin government is treating them like they are. Mm -hmm. Um, They're digging deeper and deeper into their pocketbooks and making it more and more difficult for people to live here so that, you know, live music, um, not not so much anymore in Austin. And the musicians certainly don't live in the city limits uh, if they, you know, if they can help it because it's cheaper to live outside the city limits. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and, and of course, you know, we're, we're on a lot of uh, lists for, I think we're the most economically segregated city in the, the state. Or the, I mean, we're high on one of those lists. And, and yet, it's, if, you, if you go to East Austin and you talk to the people there, what, what is driving them out? They can't afford their property taxes. So it's really interesting. It's been really interesting for me to see um, kind of my conservative ideal, the, the people that um, the left is often so eager says that they are trying to help. Um, those are the exact people that they're hurting with their with their policies. And so I really see that. Uh, I see this as the tipping point of Austin, really the crisis that we're facing right now. If we don't get it under control, um, and I'm talking about soon, we are going to be the next San Francisco. Nobody, or you have the average sales price is you know over a million dollars, and you yeah. can't you have to be rich to live there. Yeah. Um, we're squeezing we're squeezing the poor, and we're certainly squeezing the middle class out of Austin, and it and it is going to eventually destroy the the culture that we all love here yeah it's that's really the the heart of the issue and i want to come back to those broad swaths of the population working class folks and middle class folks but want to hang on for just just a moment because we are the live music capital of the world for those of us who listen to both kinds of music country and western and live in and <laughs> in, in the austin area we're big dale watson fans yeah. and i know a lot of our listeners are because they listen to both kinds of music and Dale Watson has been in the news recently, as you know, for moving to Memphis and making a big stink about it, and actually in a really civil way. I mean, he was he was very pointed mm-hmm. in what he was saying, but he's talking about musicians not only not being able to live here, but deciding they're just going to change where they perform because they're, they're cheaper places, and talked about a couple of very famous music venues that will have a hard time staying open down the road because of the high property taxes. What are the two or three things that the Austin City Council must do in order to change that course? Um, well, I think, first of all, we have we just have to freeze property taxes. We can't mm-hmm. continue with this 8% increase. And that doesn't mean, um, you know, a lot of people, when they hear me say that, they say, well, how are we going to pay? We have all these people moving here. How are we going to pay for an increase in city services? Um, well, the people, the new people that are moving here are paying new property taxes, right? There's new buildings being built. There's new homes being built. So there's new revenue coming into the city to the tune of over $50 million a year before we get a penny more from existing residents. So there is certainly plenty of room for us to keep up with city services, you know, hire more police officers, um, build new roads, whatever we need to do. That those that that money is what is supposed to make growth pay for itself. Um, people just need a breather, like a, just a little break. Um, so I would say absolutely, number one, that's the first thing that, that we need to do. Another thing um, it, the, another tool that uh, we could use is to increase the homestead exemption. We have mm-hmm. the ability to give homeowners a up to 20% tax break on their property taxes. And I, that was one of the things I ran on. Um, and I'm really proud that we have gotten to a, t- that, a 10% break. We've gotten halfway there and it's been like pulling teeth to get there, but uh, but that's exciting. And that you know, when people say, "Well, you're only one voice," how can you really make a difference? That I I really feel like that's a tangible example that um, without me really pushing that policy, that would have never happened. And 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 because um, 
because I was able to do that, everybody in Austin who owns a home is now, you know, gets a little bit of a break on their property taxes. And the third thing is we have got to get Austin Energy under control. Um, that, you know, whether you own, whether you're a renter or a homeowner, you're paying a utility bill and people are really surprised to find out that, um, you know, about $150 million every year is transferred out of Austin Energy um, into the general fund and going to pay for all of these other programs that we've been talking about. I think people have a reasonable expectation when they pay their utility bill that that money is going to provide utility to their their home. Uh, and that is not what's happening. In fact, they're paying a huge premium on the electricity that they're being provided. And, and the city is not meeting our own affordability goals. I mean, we, we have um, self-imposed kind of goals that we that we set out that we're supposed to be um, meeting and 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 simply put we're we're just not and so that is another thing that I think is affecting um, everybody across the city that uh, really could use some more transparency oh and one more I have so many ideas one more thing I'm really excited about this audit um, that's hopefully gonna that should be on the ballot in November there was a citywide petition where and I think they collected around 33,000 signatures uh, to do an audit of the a performance audit of the city's budget which has never been done before I mean it's just kind of a basic um, tool that businesses of course have been using for we sort of have forever to yeah. <laughs> um, yeah to to make sure that they're pri providing the best services at the best cost um, the I, I tried to get it on the council agenda with you know before the petition happened i wasn't able to secure the co-sponsors unfortunately um but i'm hopeful that that now with this huge community support that there will be an argument for us to go ahead and adopt it and and to do i mean i feel like it's the responsible thing to do as a as a policymaker and as as a member of the city council which is collecting Four billion, you know, has a budget of four billion dollars a year. Um, that we should just know where that money is going, and we, I want to, I want to know what things we could do better. Um, and I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's responsible for us to have that tool available to us and and to not use it. So, I, I think that that could make a huge difference. Um, other cities and states who have t undertaken a comprehensive audit have saved, you know, uh, four to. 10% on of their annual budget, which a $4 billion budget is a significant amount of money. So that I think is something that could help us provide better city services um, and hopefully provide some some relief to the people who are paying for those services. Sure. And it, it, I would think just using common sense that your colleagues on the council who are not right of center would understand the connection between that efficiency audit and lowering property taxes. But you, the idea was not met with open arms by your colleagues. Not thus far. I'm, I'm going to remain uh, cautiously optimistic because um, there will be, there will be an opportunity um, at the end of August or in August for us to, instead of putting it on the ballot, just to go ahead and adopt, mm -hmm. go ahead and do it. Um, say, hey, we've heard from the people and we, and we want to go ahead and, and, and do the audit. So I'm going to remain hopeful that that will happen. If not, we'll, we'll put it to the vote of the people. But I have to say, um, I, you know, about 90% of the people who I've talk to you about this regardless of their political leanings yeah. the, it makes sense yeah why would we not want to know um where our money's going and, and what we could do better yeah, i mean it. it is one in the public policy world one of the no-brainers that you encounter in, in yeah. the work that we do how did by the way how does the mechanics how do the mechanics of that work is there a third party who yes. comes in and does yeah that? and i okay. mean that's that's critical yeah, you, you really have to have, to have um a third party coming in and doing that and we we have a really great um city auditor but 
she, you know, just her capacity is is limited to doing kind of sure. audits of specific programs, and um, this this is really a much bigger scale. And then there are third parties that kind of specialize in this kind of work um, that would be well equipped to give us mm-hmm. some good information. I would be hopeful that the equity office would be audited. There, we've gotten a lot of phone calls today as as we're recording this podcast about the leading news story about Austin, which is that the equity office recommends considering changing the name of the city because of Stephen F. Austin's quote unquote checkered past as someone who supported slavery, even though he lived 200 years ago. And we could probably spend a lot of time talking about that. But from from this historian of Texas, I find it preposterous. Uh, it would, I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't even, I'm kind of speechless about it. I don't, I don't understand um, why yeah. that would be something that we would pursue. And I, I, yeah, it would, <laughs> I'm not very often speechless, but that's one issue that I'm, that I'm still trying to wrap my yeah, head around. So, someone asked me today, they said, Kevin, will the Texas Public Policy Foundation be writing some things about this? And I said, I don't know. It might take me a week just to wrap my head around this. <laughs> but that's. That's how, and I don't mean this in a pejorative way, I actually mean it in a, in a historical way as an observer of American politics for a while. That actually is how the left operates. It's kind of the nature of liberalism. You're always wanting to change something. But there, it seems as if just when we think we've reached some sort of stasis, even with some kind of absurd policy ideas of the left, and they've reached a stasis with what they think are some absurd policy ideas of ours, that there's a new one that comes up. And here's this name change in Austin. And, and I've, I've recommended to our policy staff here, let's keep our eyes on the prize. The city of Austin's name probably is not changing. It's not our fight today. We have to be working on things like limited government and free enterprise and lowering property taxes, which is our big goal, both at the local and state level mm-hmm. over the next year. Mm-hmm. What are some redeeming qualities, however, about Austin and maybe serving on the city council of a major American city? Um, I would say, I mean, absolutely serving on the city council has been incredibly rewarding. Knowing um, as much as I feel like sometimes I go to city hall just to beat my head against, you know, a brick wall. That's, that is what it feels like sometimes when I go outside of city hall, when I'm talking to people in the district, when I'm holding town halls, heck, when I'm, you know, with clients who are looking for, to buy property, the, the thing that, the things that they care about, um, and the things that they tell me, I know they, they are so glad that I'm able, that I'm representing their voice on the city council. And so that has been, that has been really invigorating, really rewarding, and, and wouldn't trade it in for anything, even though, um, even though it's frustrating sometimes. And then there's little moments like um, lemonade stands. I mean, who would have thought <laughs> that you had to pay, have a permit to have a, for a child to have a lemonade stand in Austin. But we had, we went through, I saw one day on our agenda that we were having a lemonade day where we were waiving lemonade stand fees. And it was really kind of a fun, um, you know, this lemonade day, it's supposed to be support entrepreneurialism and supposed to be fun, but I was like, well, why do we have to waive fees in the first place? What are, what, why are we stopping these kids from selling lemonade anytime that they want to? Um, any good entrepreneur knows that they shouldn't sell the same product as all of their competitors on the same day, you know, <laughs> <laughs> one day to sell lemonade, that's it. Uh, so, you know, I, I carried a resolution that we had fun with to um, get rid of the, the permitting fees for lemonade stands in Austin. So there's little moments like that that are, that are just fun and rewarding. And, um, and ultimately, I think that there are some tangible things um, that that we've accomplished that that will help to change the the future of 
of the city. And and there are other ways that um, even when it's not serving on the city council, even when it's when I walk down the street and go talk to the legislature, there have been other ways that I can impact change. I mean, you, you mentioned kind of the it's multi, you know, property taxes is not just a local thing. It's a, it's a state thing as well. And they've uh, been considering several pieces of legislation that would really um, help homeowners, everybody in Austin to manage the cost of living. And so I've been pretty vocal at the state capitol about, you know, the yes, spending is out of control. And, and if if we didn't have that 8% cap, I asked our budget director, I'm getting off, t- off no, topic now, but very I, asked relevant. Our, I asked our uh, budget director how high the city of Austin would have raised taxes last year if we didn't have that 8%. Um, and it's not even, I hate calling it a cap because really, you know, they just have to go ask the voters if they want to go over it. You can you can exceed that cap. But um, if they wanted to go over that state kind of mandated line of 8%, and he went and he did the numbers and he looked at all the resolutions that the city had passed and it would, would have been 13% in, oh one, in one year alone. So that to me kind of spoke to the importance of kind of the the rational levels of control that we have at the state level and how um, critical it would be if we could if we could get that number just a little bit lower i think it's really reasonable to have some kind of level where you know you if you want to go above it you can but you just have to go ask the voters first if you can spend more of their money Mm -hmm. now I don't even remember what your original question was. It was but. <laughs> all about that, about the, the importance of property and and the redeeming qualities the redeem, of Austin and, and of, of Austin. service. Yeah, and, and I hope you know. I hope I love I love the natural beauty that we have in Austin. Um, can't say in this hundred degree heat that I that I love the weather that we have all of the time. But uh, but certainly it is a vibrant. Um, a vibrant town that, that I love. I mean, I came here to, to go to college and uh, fell in love with the city and, and didn't want to leave. And um, now I'm in a position to, to try to hang on, to try to help the city hang on to the, the things that made me fall in love with it in the first place. Yeah, I think that's well said. I People who live in Texas know that, that each of our many major cities has its own culture, its own vibe. And I think it's one of the great redeeming qualities of Texas is all that, that diversity and a good sense of the word diversity. And although you were born in Houston and raised in Dallas and we love folks from those towns, I think Austin among the big cities still has the best vibe. It's a place where serious business happens, whether it's the policy making in the state legislature, where the best education in the world happens, the University of Texas, or where people can be really laid back, having fun, um, enjoying recreation, not wearing neckties in 100 degree heat in downtown Austin. It really is a great place. And so for those of us who have benefited from your service on the Austin City Council, thank you so much oh, for that. Well, you are you are certainly welcome. And I, I hope, I mean, the, the most rewarding thing that will come up out of any of this is if I can inspire other people to step up and run. Because it, like I said, it was certainly never, never in my life's plan. Um, I really feel like I kind of fell into it and fell into it enthusiastically, but but kind of fell into it. And so I, I hope that other people out there, um, I mean, of course, especially women, especially young women, uh, would would kind of hear the call and see what they can do to help their local community. It's, you know, school board and city council, those are the two things that have a huge impact on your daily lives. And those are also the easiest things to get involved in, the easiest things to run for. You know, you don't need a lot of money. You don't need to... 
um, no influential people. You don't have to have a career in politics. All you have to do is be um, be passionate about policy and to be willing to, to put your name on the ballot and, and work hard to, to get elected. And that's, you know, I've, I feel like that's all I've done. Um, mm-hmm. And so I hope I hope that other people out there will will do it as well. Sure. I hope our listeners really took that to heart because you as you said, had no desire, no thought about doing that, and you were motivated to do so against all of the, the, the characteristics that, that you had, and you've done it really well with class and with grace, with, with utmost civility, an environment, and I cannot overstate the following, that is extremely challenging every single day. And so for those of us who work in public policy and are passionate about fighting for our principles, and yet also passionate about being civil with one another. Thank you, Ellen Troxclair, for your service to Austin, to Texas, and to America. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Foundation Podcast, brought to you by the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Please don't forget to subscribe.